Welcome to Camdeners, the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Jeffrey Young. In this podcast, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. Today, we speak with Nicola Wilson from Great Ormond Street Hospital. Adam, welcome to Camdeners. Thank you so much. Tell us about your background. You're an artist. Uh, yeah, I'm an artist and designer um, who lives in Camden, very near her, um, who I trained in architecture. So my background, I mean, initially I was thinking about doing fine arts, I went to St. Martin's a very long time ago and then moved into architecture. Um, I studied that, worked in architecture for many years, about eight years, also taught in architecture, Okay. Um, taught in, in Camden, in, in St. Martin's at King's Cross. Um, worked in architecture for many years as well um, in various practices, including OMA in Rotterdam, which is Rem Kulhas's office, Ron Arad here in Camden, like just down the road, um, and then set up my own studio, which focuses um, on installations, artwork, and design in 2016. Give me a, paint me a picture um, to use a. I mean, of, the jumper helps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so colorful for sure. Yes. Give us a, 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 yeah, an image of what, what, what your artwork is and what it looks like. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the most obvious description would be colourful, because I think yeah. that's the thing that makes us stand out from a lot of contemporary design, which which a lot of it tends to be very monochrome um, or greyish or grey. Um, but yes, that's important. But I'm, I'm sort of very interested in overall what one might describe as the decorative, um, which very often that's been used as a pejorative or a sort of term of demean, de, sort of demeaning term to refer yeah. to people's work. But actually... For me, the decorative is where so much of the ability of design and architecture to communicate and create emotions and affect people comes from. Um, and colors are a very important part of that, but it's not everything. So I'm really interested in uh, ornament ornamentation, uh, two-dimensional decorative ornamentation, but also three-dimensional architectural ornament. So one of the reasons I work very often in ceramics. So to give you a range, range of the idea of, or an idea of the range of kind of scales that I work with, I'm doing a um, the base, so the first sort of 10 meters of a skyscraper at the moment in South London, and that's all being done with um, very large, they're four kilos each, three-dimensional porcelain tiles, which I've developed with CDJ up in the north of England. Um, but then on the other hand, I'm wearing a jumper from my fashion collection. So I sell, you know, kind of jumpers and jackets and things. Um, but then also um, very interested always in describing and explaining why the decorative, the ornamental um, are actually really, really interesting and very important. And to do that, I publish and you know I've written many articles, um, just published another book with the Royal Institute of British Architects called Queer Spaces, which is kind of tangentially linked because um, a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in designing, which was very often, dis which was always dismissed as kind of superficial and decorative, are very often things that were gendered as being um, feminine, with yep. feminine being a negative thing, um, or queer, with queer being a negative thing. So that's why I've sort of delved into, I guess, theory, history, and writing um, as well. And I do, so I do large things, but I also do a lot of um, public art. Um, got a 57 meter long um, uh, 
community-led mosaic which is being made at the moment in London Bridge Station, which I think will be the largest mosaic in London, apart from the Eduardo wow. Carlozzi in Tottenham Court Road. Um, big 50-meter-long artwork for British land uh, at Paddington Central. Um, and a uh, big something for Canary Wharf at the moment will be launched in July. So a lot of things which are, I guess, trying to bring that quality of craft, materiality, decoration, ornament, which speaks to identity and culture um, in our public spaces. Um, that's something that I'm really, mm. really passionate about. And that's what people can see in the city. And then I sell, you know, products, furniture, clothing. Right. Well, you, you know, you, you've, um, you, you've had some installations. You were artist in residence at the King's Cross development. What, what, yeah, what did we see there? Yeah, uh, so that was that was fun. <laughs> I sort of got a call from from Argent, um, who are a really interesting developer because they they do they kind of walk they walk the walk as well as talking the talk. Um, they are constantly sort of programming their their developments with lots of exciting events um, and commissioning art, artwork, temporary or permanent, for this for their spaces. Um, and they brought me in for six months, it actually ended up being a bit longer and effectively gave me lots of little opportunities or maybe not so little, but opportunities to create moments of wonder or delight on the estate. And that ranged from building a huge pyramid, <laughs> was, okay. um, which was, I, I called it little, proud little pyramid, but it got known by, by uh, res, well, sort of people who worked in the area and residents as the big gay pyramid. Um, it, was, it looked like something had landed from outer space or from Stargate or something. And that that was um, a design that was talking about the queer history of the King's Cross site itself, which is a very important part of queer history in the United Kingdom. Mm. Um, and all of that was kind of embodied in a super fun uh, installation. But I also covered a lot of uh, empty shop windows because it was um, kind of COVID period. There yeah. were a lot of empty shops um, in artworks, um, which became a trail for families and parents to kind of walk around um, and visit, and each one of those artworks had a different character, so that the children can kind of relate to them because they're, oh. you know, um, personifying a different quality of a person. So one is like happy, one is bouncy, one is tall, one is skinny, one is uh, rotund. Yeah. Um, as well as um, other elements that were ground artworks. So um, the new bridge was installed there, um, and I did um, a series of art. Well, I did an artwork on there that turned it into a sort of color barcode, where people would. Well, mostly children with hopscotch wow. <laughs> across the bridge. Um, and so those sorts of fun installations that would activate um, the space during most, uh, a lot of the time, the non-summer period when they have more at most of the events. And then during the summer period, uh, the the um, pavilion, the pyramid, which um, was used a lot by events. So people would record themselves dancing on it. And so. All right. so where do you get this inspiration from? Um, well, so I'm... <laughs> Uh, inspiration is not really a problem. I'm one of those people that you, I walk down the same street I've walked down for my whole life and I'll still sort of get amazed at things that I'll see each time. So like wherever I go, I tend to get very excited, which is very evident yeah. on my Twitter feed because I sort of just constantly excited by uh, little details in the city around me, wherever I'm going. Um, but I do have like a really great bank of inspirations from, I guess, growing up, um, I was uh, exposed to, um, Japanese and Argentine culture a lot and visiting those countries a lot, which was already just a whole extra bank of inspiration and kind of other cultural elements, yeah. um, which I was very lucky to be given. And then also growing up as a teenager in London, I was very much part of the queer scene. Mm. 
and partying and nightclubbing and the mm. kind of back in the 90s um it was really cutting edge like the the graphic design the interior design the fashion design of the london gay scene was very much at the front end of what was happening anywhere in the world and so that all kind of merged together with a passion for architectural history which is why you get these very strange combinations of very architectural but kind of unusual combination of architectural forms in my work combined with quite wild colors and um, decorative references which might come from Japan, Argentina and then crossed with early 2000s gay club culture <laughs> meets a cathedral. So that's some of the kind of weird combinations that you get because of the references that I use. Amazing. Well, it, it, it sort of um, makes me think of the of the project just around the corner is um, restoring the, the black cap, for example. Um, I have many many good memories from, as a teenager from the Black Cap. <laughs> yeah, um, and and yeah, I think they they'd probably be looking for some inspiration there for how to take that to a new level when it when it opens again. We've um, we've had uh, many meetings with the the guys uh, coming really? in here and have meetings here. Yeah, about sort of helping to get that kickstart that off the ground. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a hugely important part of queer history. All I mean for the whole country, but especially for this part of London. Um, it was sort of part of my, um, I guess, <laughs> a, Tory, a Tory MP would say indoctrination into the gay world. Um, I first I first sort of discovered gayness at the King Willie up in Hampstead. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the next step was the Black Cap. And then the next step after that was King's Cross. And then it led to Soho. So it's sort of like slowly right. sinking into <laughs> the gay world of London. And the Black Cap was the second stop on that tube line. Wonderful. Now you live in the borough of Camden. Yes. Yeah, I live in Belsize Park, so very close. Yeah, what's what's the attraction? Why why live in this borough? Um, well, I mean, I'm from here. So, yeah. Um, there's, I think. Did you grow a, up here? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was, I was born and brought up, um, up in Hampstead. Yeah. Um, kind of the, the bit of Hampstead towards Golders Green. Okay. Um, but but within Camden. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just just North London. I mean, this sort of Northwest London in general is just a really fantastic place to grow up. Um, especially for me, I was very lucky because I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily fit in. I was one of those kids that didn't fit into school. Um, you know, I was, I, I was section 28 period. I was very badly bullied and actually I got kicked out because of the bullying from school. Mm. So I actually ended up sort of schoolless. Um, and I, basically this part of London provided me with a kind of soft landing. So there were a lot of subcultures and this, I think there still are happening, um, that I could plug into and that sort of taught me, I guess that, you know, I wasn't disgusting and actually I didn't mm. need to be ashamed. And actually all of these attacks that were happening weren't my fault. And then, and then the journey of being indoctrinated began. But that's, I think Camden is pretty amazing at being this sort of balance between almost having not a suburban lifestyle, but a sort of normal residential world. But at the same time, having all of the stuff that London can offer from the other side that maybe the parents wouldn't approve of so much. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of perfect for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just made sense. I lived in Soho for 15 years and it made sense for me to sort of move back into the area because it's also an area that's full of creative mm. still, uh, not maybe Hampstead per se, but in the wider area. Um, and so it just made sense to sort of stay within that orbit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favorite parts of Camden? You were... Well, the parks. The, the parks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really, especially I have two dogs. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely a dog person. So, um, you know, but we live equidistant between um, the Heath and Primrose Hill. Yeah. And you don't, you don't really get better than that. So have you had a choice? How's it Heath or Primrose Hill? Oh, it depends. Uh, so during the week, Primrose Hill, weekend, the Heath. 
Um, but I mean, most most of my I mean, I have memories from everywhere growing up here, but particularly the Heath is kind of this amazing magic wonderland. If you're a teenager, like there's lots of teenagers that disappear into it when yeah. they shouldn't, when the, oh, when yeah. the sun has set. Yes. Um, and it's this amazing kind of world um, that that was very, very fun to have. And as I'm sure you know, there's, you know, cruising that goes on there yeah. as well. So yeah. that was, I happened to live by West Heath. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was um, interesting to experience. Yeah. <laughs> so you live in the borough of Camden. Does, does Camden sort of inspire you? Does it, uh, is it sort of um, an inspiration for you yeah. artistically? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, I've, you know, I mentioned sort of these other countries that I was very lucky to experience, but growing up in Camden, was you know it's a very diverse place um and you know i'm i from come from a posh fam posh i mean wealthy family went to they sent me to sort of stupidly expensive school got kicked out of that school um and it's a i think it's a really nice part of the world where you get a lot of different ethnic groups mixing you get a lot of people from different social classes and backgrounds um people from who are from families of different income bases and there's quite a lot of mixing that goes on mm. unlike in many other places where they're sort of segregated and that's a really i think that's a, a really fantastic legacy of the the kind of the council itself yeah uh, i know everyone everyone has lots of problems with their own local council but camden does have this incredible history of being a council that has intentionally created that environment from the 60s from when it was created onwards you know and their incredible social housing um building campaign that was obviously ended when they couldn't borrow money anymore in the 80s but prior to that um was instrumental in forming that also happens to have incredible architecture, which is world beating, you know, from Alexandra Road to Branch Hill, um, up to Highgate Newtown. Um, and, you know, it's just very, it's being very privileged to experience all these absolutely amazing estates mm. uh, with, with people living in them. But that's also very much within this super diverse collage-like urban fabric around the rest of the, um, of the, of Camden's area. And that, that's just really, I think, very thrilling. Mm. Um, and it's, I think, a function of why I went into architecture and urbanism and design. Mm. So where can we find your work? Oh, so my, my now, work... Now, if we yeah, want to go and actually see... So right work. now, you can see one, I think it's one quarter of the mosaic is finished. Yep. But it's already, you can already get an idea of what it's going to be like in London Bridge. And that's upstairs by... By, by the Shard. So at the entrance oh, wow. of the Shard, there's a yeah. bus station. Yeah. There's a huge, hideous concrete wall. Yeah. And we're covering yeah. that in mosaics. That's there. Okay. Um, and then from June, you will, in the middle of Paddington Central, there's that kind of amphitheater space. Yeah. Um, you'll be able to see Abundance, which is the kind of big 50 meter long artwork, which will be opened then in June. And Canary Wharf, again, uh, from the 29th of June, I'm going to have an artwork, which is going to be sort of dragging Norman Foster's bridge. Wow. Um, so there's a bridge that connects to Elizabeth yeah. Line from one Canada Square, and I'm basically sort of covering it in very colourful things. Um, and then the the kind of bottom of the skyscraper was actually a new pedestrian walkway um, covered in porcelain in Croydon will be finished in, I mean, it, you can already see it from outside the construction site, but will be open in October. And that's right by East Croydon Station. It's the tallest building in South London, so you kind of kind of can't really miss it. Wow. You got the dream job, really. <laughs> yeah, well, and then there's lots of lots of furniture products and vases and clothing as well. But in terms of things in the city, those are the first ones that you're going to be able to see that are permanent. Because um, I'm up until now, it's been mostly temporary pop up things. Yeah, yeah. So a little boy from Hampstead, you must feel quite, you know. Yeah, I mean, quite well, special. Well, no, no. I mean, Hampstead, you know, full of wealthy 
Nepo babies. So, you know, I think it's, uh, I'm not particularly unique in terms of coming from Amsterdam doing lots of things. Um, but it is, I guess, in terms of, in terms of my growing up yeah. specifically, and um, yes, it's really thrilling. I mean, to be honest, I'm just very, I'm very happy to be alive because it, you know, there were particular, there were certain periods through my twenties and then the kind of end of my teens where, um, you know, it was touch and go with the kind of really, really, really homophobic context yeah. that I was trying to sort of get a education in, yeah. um, and then later get a profession in. Um, and the fact that I'm, uh, I guess brought up with quite a F you attitude where I don't really hide anything and that yeah. wasn't really conducive to actually getting opportunities. So bearing with that, bearing with that, well, bearing that in mind, yes, it's gone. I'm very, so when did very it happy that to, it's gone well and surprised. So when did it start, you know, you're all of a sudden it feels like it's wrapped up. You're doing some high profile it has been pieces of artwork and it, and it just, when, when did it all of a sudden it went boom? Very so. Recently. So, yeah. um, so that, it, it started, I guess the beginning of the, me feeling like there was a, a, a sort of sea change was in 2017, I was invited to Berkeley, Berkeley uh, in California to the university to give a conference, uh, to, to run a symposium on uh, querying architecture and urbanism. And that was the first time that I'd ever been in a room where I didn't have to, I guess, spend half the time justifying the existence of my practice rather than talking about interesting ideas because there was a room full of people who knew already and accepted it. And we had a really fantastic discussions. And then I came back to the UK and it was just the usual old rubbish. Um, and then in 2019, um, I was invited by the Architectural Review, which is kind of fantastic progressive architectural publication, to write a, an essay on queer aesthetics and what my opinions on it. And that sort of went viral within the design world. So not sort of hugely viral, but sort of was very widely read within the design world. And that catalyzed a change where people started to see my work differently or through that lens mm. and suddenly when you know it wasn't really acceptable to talk about it in a way that it had been before so from 2019 onwards there's been a sort of ever increasing ramping up mm. um of acceptability i guess of my yeah. work and then the book came out so queer spaces the book that came out last year has been um has generated a lot of discussion yeah um within the world of urbanism, architecture, and design. Um, and that's been very, very helpful at opening up the minds of um, not only peers, but also potential clients. Um, so, so moving forward into the future, um, are, you, are, you, are you optimistic about where we're going in terms of urban, um, urban design, sustainability, queer culture, the whole kind of um, plethora of, of, of a new world emerging? Um, yes, basically. I mean, and one has to be to a certain degree because otherwise there's a sort of level of despair that comes in. But I think particularly within London, and I'm very, very much a Londoner, so mm. like this is my world yeah. and I love it so much. Um, I have to kind of be dragged away from it. But um, I think in London there is, a gr there is a general awareness and this, you know, this is from the mayor through to most of the, most of the councils that the transition to, a, you know, a sort of low carbon economy or, you know, zero carbon economy, also changing the way people move around the city is a really good opportunity to make the city better overall, not yeah. just in terms of changing modes of transport. Yeah. Um, I am concerned that the, you know, we have some fringes on the right wing who, honestly, it's very difficult to understand where they're coming from. For instance, take ideas which are very simple urban ideas for making communities uh, walkable, friendly, cozy, 
like the 15 minute city it's a very simple yeah. idea to just yeah. like have everything 15 minutes away it's not it's not crazy and they're calling it like a communist plot um, and they they lie. They, you know, they're literally saying that the fifteen minute city is something which is about controlling people and watching you to make sure that you don't go more than fifteen minutes away from your house. I mean, it's completely bananas Mad, stuff. Um, and so there does seem to, the culture war does seem to be coming for urbanism. Um, and I have been noticing that also, especially in America, a lot of debate has been reduced down to: Does stuff look old? Does it look new? Is it against the car? Or is it for the car? So I'm hoping that that doesn't spread here. But if it doesn't, there's a lot of goodwill within councils, within the GLA, um, you know, to create spaces which are much more inclusive mm -hmm. than they ever have been or have been in the past. So, yes, positive. But at the same time, there are negative wins. Yeah. <laughs> Just hoping that they don't pick up into a gale force storm. So what would the borough of Camden look like in 15 years from now? In your ideal scenario, if you could plan out all the space, create all the experiences? Well, I mean, there'd be, there'd be lots of squares with no, with no parking. Um, yeah. There'd be uh, segregated bike lanes everywhere. Um, there would be um, EV charging points for where cars are needed everywhere. Um, greening, so we'd have a lot more spaces in what is normally considered like the street, but which are uh, um, kind of durable, robust plants. Um, also, a huge problem is flooding. So I'm sure you know if you live in Camden that flooding, particularly in well ar around the Heath and sort of Belsize Park and South Hampstead, is is really a, a problem because rain is happening in a much more condensed way now. Um, that we have suds, so sustainable um, uh, urban drainage systems, um, where you know we start to have green roofs. So we see we sort of see wildflower meadows on yeah. people's roofs wow. and things. But that that holds water and stops it running off immediately. Also as much as possible, um, planting and uh, gaps between paving with sand, plants growing in it, that allow for water to not flash flood over tarmac. Um, so yeah, I think it's basically look a lot greener, have yeah. a lot less cars, and have a lot more outdoor space for kids to play in and people to sit and relax in, especially as our climate is changing to a more Mediterranean climate. Well, Mediterranean climate in Britain sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, well, today it feels uh, like it, <laughs> but then shame. it didn't yesterday. <laughs> Adam, thanks for joining us here today on Camdeners. Thank you very much for inviting me. In Camden Town. And that's all this week for Camdeners. Camdeners was recorded in Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road for the Camden Clean Air Initiative. Time.